0: My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've
1: been telling everybody that I got them in a shade, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy.
0: Gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, double feature, that's right, bringing to you two appearances that I have made on various podcasts. First up, the Hidden Gateway podcast with my new friend, Justin Williams, and then after that, stick around for an interview with myself on Forbidden Knowledge News hosted by Chris Matthews it was a great time on both separate occasions uh, the interview with Justin happened uh, t- I think in December the last week of December first week of January and then the Chris Matthew interview on Forbidden Knowledge news happened the first week of January so here we are in 2022 the first double feature of the year Enjoy. Be sure to subscribe to Forbidden Knowledge News and Hidden Gateway on the same app that you use to listen to this show. That's right. Tell them my family thinks I'm crazy sent ya. And be sure to sign up on the Patreon to support the show. That's right. Patreon is the best place. You can also send us a one time PayPal donation. That is always appreciated. And that's a good way to get a spirit animal name as well. Uh, You can also send me a message via the telegram that's right we don't use the pod inbox anymore but we are taking voice messages via telegram so join the telegram family and leave us a message tell us why your family thinks you're crazy keep it short keep it sweet get to the point make sure you tell us where you're from and uh, maybe you'll hear yourself on the show sounds cool right So, and also we got Rockfin, that's right, Rockfin, my family thinks I'm crazy on Rockfin where we go live and we also have some bonus video content that is only available there and on the Patreon, so whichever one you prefer, show us some love wherever it suits you best. It's the only way we keep this show on the road, folks, that's right, so thank you so much for listening and enjoy this double feature, first up. Hidden Gateway Podcast with Justin Williams.
2: Welcome you to another episode of the Hidden Gateway podcast. As always, I am your host Justin Williams. Today's guest is Mark Palmer Steves. Now, Mark is the host of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast where he and his guests cover a wide array of topics such as bizarre events, conspiracies, the paranormal, ancient knowledge, spirituality, and many more topics. Mark, what's up, man?
0: Welcome to the Hidden Gateway Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, all those things are, are pretty true. I think there's a couple of those on the list that I haven't quite covered yet, but that is the goal is to kind of have a nice uh, variety of topics on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast because there's a variety of reasons why my family thinks I'm crazy. It's not just one theory or another.
2: So it's true. Your family really thinks you're crazy. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's, it's a sadly true. I mean, it feels a little, it, maybe if you asked me in like February, I wouldn't have such a, you know, soft-spoken answer, but you know, given that we just came out of the holiday season, it's a little more on my mind, you know, the, <laughs> how crazy yeah, yeah. they think I am. But yeah, I think, you know, the proof's in the pudding. So once I, you know, once I show them that what I'm doing is actually working out and it's not as much of like a a pipe dream as they might think then who knows maybe they'll think i'm crazy less but yeah they don't really have a lot of faith in a lot of the things i say
2: (laughs) you know what mark that resonates with me, much, very much so, because my family thinks I'm crazy as well. They they thought I was a pretty normal guy up until about probably about a year ago. I went through this uh, trans- transformation, if you will. I've been on this hardcore spiritual journey, man, and some of my experiences that they became aware of have them kind of scratching their head, like, "Who is this guy?" It's almost as if they don't they don't know me anymore. But I'm cool with it, you know. They, I have to do me, right? I have to live my life. But man, enough about me, man. Let's let's talk about you, your your show, man. Ah, oh, man. Like I told you before, we we hit record, man. It's a a freaking phenomenal show excellent host you have had some great guests on your show and you're you're doing damn well man and 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 well deserved man tell me about some of the some of the stats i don't remember them offhand but i want people to 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 know about your website and in your in your podcast man i want them to check it out because i'm sure our listeners would would love it as well so how long have you been doing it and and you know tell me about some of your stats
0: sure i'm Honored to tell you, because it is kind of cool. I mean, I never thought this many people would listen to my show. It certainly helps. The fact that I've been on Sam's show, and I helped Sam with his show, Tin Fall Hat, which is immensely more popular than my show is, for sure. But, I mean, we just hit 200,000 downloads, and uh, we've been going for about a year now. So, I'm pretty stoked. I mean, we got a good average, and, you know, this is a good spot to be for a podcast that just started, you know, less than uh, two years ago. So I'm pretty stoked about that. But I also started a a cooperative, which I'd love to have you a part of, for podcasters called Alt Media United. And the goal is to work together to remain independent because I don't think that we necessarily need to be part of, like, a whole network or, you know, recreate any of that. I don't know if that really is even beneficial to anybody going into a network but if we can remain united as independent content creators my belief is that that will allow us to at least stay on the cutting edge of certain technologies and stay in the loop with one another to to not you know segregate our audiences so much because i feel like what happens with these new platforms is like somebody gets behind odyssey or somebody gets behind a Rockfin, you know and and then like the people who are left out of that maybe they don't feel like they're doing the same thing as everyone else so the idea with the cooperative is to sort of show everybody the road to to how to do this podcasting thing the right way i don't i mean and I, again i just started so it's all kind of like a learning process for me so as much as i'm learning i like to be as transparent with people as possible that's why I, I kind of like perked up when you're like hey tell me about your stats because no one's ever asked me that on a show and I'm, I'm pretty proud of it but I'm also I think this is cool for people to to realize like if you if you work hard at something and you know you you put it out with good intention and honesty it can reach this many people and that's not even really a lot what's really cool to me as a matter of fact is just how many countries we've reached because there's like I mean, little pockets around the world of people who like in the hundreds listen to the show. And again, this could be like one or two people listening to every episode because they really just tell me download numbers. They don't tell me like how many actual people are listening, but like almost 400 in Sweden, got 200 downloads in South Africa. We got 150 in Brazil. Like close to four thousand in Australia. Thailand's got like close to three hundred. The so countries that I didn't really think were into podcasting, there's a lot of people listening to the to the show there. So that's cool to see. I think Germany. Germany's our biggest non English speaking country but yeah the fact that the show's going that far is awesome I'm, I'm psyched and i'm sure people have that same feeling around the world that their family thinks they're crazy i think it resonates
2: <laughs> i think it does man there's a there's a special group of our of our type you know and i think our our type is going more and more by the, by the day by the week by the month man it's, it's been this shift of I guess I would say consciousness, if you will, over the last I don't know year, year and a half, two years, whatever it may be, and absolutely isn't it, isn't it something like you talked about with with your with your podcast being genuine and, and being true? Isn't it something something else? How you you put that type of energy into it, and and the return of investment is is phenomenal like you said would, would you would you have, have imagined two years ago if, if someone told you that you would be doing a podcast and it would be as successful as it is so soon what, what well, would you have thought i'll about? tell you
0: what i did do a podcast two years ago and it wasn't you know i had a okay. i had a, a show called the bud triangle that i did with my friends and this is in a different time period like covid did a lot of good things for podcasting unfortunately and one of the things that it did was it normalized what we're doing right now, the Zoom meeting. And, you know, I could have figured that out if I had enough like compunction to research it, but I didn't for whatever reason. So I had it stuck in my head that I needed to have a studio space and mics and and have like friends there. So it was really like there was a lot of things that were holding me back that was slowing down the uh, actual process itself that I thought were you know, vital to the process that actually weren't. So once I, you know, unfortunately let go of those friends that I had on the show, I noticed not only does the show sound better, but I have more time. You know, a lot of things improve when I let some of those things go. And that's not to talk bad about those guys. They're they're still my friends somewhat. (laughs) You know, they, I don't know, they kind of, it was mutual. We'll just say. But, but yeah, it is, it is interesting. Cause I was doing that Bud Triangle show on YouTube. I had no idea how to do a podcast and it was reaching like 10, 15 people per episode. So, so yeah, luckily I met Sam, you know, and that was really for me uh, a big deal. Cause I had listened to his show a bunch for years, every episode I've listened to, you know, and, and especially at that point in my life, I was like listening to his show and the higher side chats and Grimerica show. A lot, and it was motivating me to get in touch with this world, like you said, a bunch of people that were resonating with. I'm finding are resonating with my show, reaching out to me now, I'm making new friends like yourself who also have podcasts, and it's you know, it's totally a 180 from the world I was living in when I met Sam. Because I, yeah, I had a somewhat of a podcast, but it wasn't my intention to get on his show. I just wanted to give him this book because i was like you know what if he reads this book maybe it'll bring some more of this element to the show that i like listening to right
1: Mm, so i give
0: him a book called the k-y-b-a-l-i-o-n for those who don't understand the east coast accent here Uh, the Cabalion is a very interesting book it's the seven hermetic laws and uh, and you know i was just another random dude that came to one of Sam's shows and met him afterwards, shook his hand. And I was like, Hey, take this book. And he's like, Oh, give it to me at the Creek in the cave. So I go to the Creek in the cave, this other comedy club, and he's hanging out with everybody. And I ended up, you know, leaving a good impression on him because he asked me to be on his show a couple months later on one of his like sort of Patreon shows and just talking to Sam over and over again, I was like really nervous. And like my voice kind of, I found my voice like, i I'd always been interested in this kind of stuff, but you know, it's one thing to tell like your coworker. It's another thing to tell the podcaster that you idolize, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, Oh God, like, what should I talk about? So I talk about skull and bones. Cause that's such a, mm. it's close to home for me literally, you know, new Haven Connecticut is home of Yale university. And I've had uh slight sim, you know, small experiences slash interactions with uh, skull and bones and, and, um, the school itself and not uh, directly with anybody initiated or anything like that but like from seeing you know driving by at a weird moment and seeing somebody walk in the building to actually being a delivery guy and getting inside the university and seeing some of the oh. weird buildings like those are the experiences that i had before i even found tinfoil hat or around that time and so yeah i'm, I'm sure i'm going all over the place here but let me try to you know (laughs) thank you Uh, let me try to rein it in a little bit but my point being is i was super nervous super like wow what are we going to talk about and it ended up going really well and sam had me back on his show a bunch of times and that led to me creating this show that is doing really well but i can't ever bring that up without mentioning sam because it's like i owe him uh, a huge bit of thank you and gratitude for you know kind of elevating me from my position as just another random fringe conspiracy thinker out there to somebody who actually had a a chance to, I don't want to say inspire people, but I've been able to put the right people in position to talk to Sam to then inspire hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, literally, the show I did with him on Tinfoil was like, you know, 100,000 views on YouTube, I'm sure more on the audio side of things. And I was just, you know, talking about alistair crowley you know and Mm. all of these things that i had thought about while i was a delivery guy just like i wish people knew about this just like really frustrated at the world it's so weird in a synchronistic way the universe gave me an opportunity to share these ideas on a big platform in this kind of behind the scenes way where i'm not the one telling sam what to believe or what to do i'm just putting the right people in the position to have that conversation with him. And he does it really well, you know, and, and that's all of that has inspired me to do what I do, you know, and, and luckily Sam pays me to book for his show, which gives me uh, a little bit of freedom to, to, you know, go full-time with this podcast. It's definitely not easy. I'm not making full-time money, but I'm, I'm doing full-time hours, you know, and I think that's the kind of dedication that that's gonna pay off. So I'm super grateful. And yes, it is like a little bit of a shock to see how many people are (laughs) listening to the show, even considering all the help I've gotten, you know.
2: Excellent, man, well said. And you're gonna continue to do some great things, man. You know, input equals output. And you, you have your you have your mind right, it sounds, brother, and uh, good stuff, good stuff. Now, one thing I want to ask you about is that book that you gave, Sam, where it talked about the seven hermetic laws. Now, I'm not familiar with that. I've heard of that term, but I want you, if you could, to take a few minutes to, to tell me about that.
0: Sure. Let me just lean back and grab the book real quick. Yeah, go for it. So I have... My books are not alphabetically organized at all, but I have them somewhat committed to memory and where they are. So I found it. This is a book for people. Sorry about... I don't, is this audio or video only? I'm not... I don't want to no, waste... this it's audio. Cool. <laughs> all right. So I, I'll just show works. you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the hermetic... The Seven Hermetic Laws, you know, just to give people a, a quick breakdown, if you haven't heard them before, it goes... The first principle is mentalism. Then they go into vibration, polarity, rhythm, causation, gender, correspondence. There's a lot. You know, a lot of overarching ideas. And I think it was just talked about on on Tinfold Hat, as a matter of fact. Ross Ben, someone who I'm a huge fan of, was just on Tinfall Hat and he kinda broke down the seven Hermetic Laws. And the way he described them was really interesting. It's it's like the, the the infrastructure of the matrix, like the rules of the matrix. And once you understand these rules of how the matrix operates, you're able to move more freely within the matrix. So that's kind of, that's part of why I gave Sam that book, even though that episode, you know, was recorded only a couple of weeks ago. It's funny how that kind of thing synchronistically happens, like an idea that was in my head sort of gets channeled into you know booking a certain person and then that idea comes through on the podcast really without me you know telling ross to bring that up at all it's just really cool how that happened but i encourage people to go and listen to that if they want to hear some super interesting stuff as well as a little bit of a breakdown on the cabalian but you know that aside it's it's philosophy it's a hermetic philosophy and okay one of these things that i learned from a young age was that the truth is actively being hidden why well i don't i really have the answer to that i have a couple of you know theories that i've battled with Good. but the truth is being hidden and it seems like it's if we want to look at things glass half full it's almost like a challenge for those who are worthy and i like challenges you know i was a wrestler martial artist i got my ass kicked a bunch you know, by no means like a professional but i i enjoyed the competition i enjoyed the challenge and After a skateboarding accident that left me with a broken wrist, I, I kind of stepped a little bit away from martial arts and that like drive that I had developed through those sort of combat arts stuck Mm. with me while I was Mm. digging through this information. And really it comes from a place of, of wanting to help the world, you know, and we can get into the sentimentals and all that if you want. And like, I'll start crying, but the truth is I care about the, the world in a really deep and profound way. It used to be, you know, environment and, and nature and animals. But now if I talk about that, people think I'm some kind of climate change hippie, you know, that's not really accepted (laughs) in the conspiracy community on, on a, on a, superficial level on a deep level i think everybody agrees with the with the underlying sentiment but unfortunately mm-hmm. this whole climate change nonsense has sort of mixed its way into the what i would say is like gaia warrior movement the people who are connected with the earth mother and want to right. re-establish you know the connection yeah, yeah. with her or connection with the natural biosphere that always drove me because as a kid i was fascinated by animals i would read these animal books and like classify them all and try to figure out like oh what each animal did and really interested in like seeing the full picture and how they all fit together and you you understand mm-hmm. when you study nature and biomes that there's a symbiosis that occurs a balancing force within Absolutely. each environment right and right that sort of underlying philosophy got transferred somehow into my, you know, just wanting to understand the world. And like, Mm -hmm. I just saw this really incomplete picture from school and college. And I'm like, there's gotta be more than this. And obviously 2012 being not so obvious to you guys, the year I graduated high school, but for everybody, I mean, I'm sure you guys remember, 2012 was, like, the big apocalypse, and it was also, like, right, the big yes. awakening, you know, so this is the year right. I'm graduating and going into the world, like, you know, yeah, wow. so for me, I it was, like, you know, a lot of really cool information, spirit science, Ralph Smart, Alan Watts, like, all of these, like, interesting, like, as es- somewhat esoteric, but more positivity-type crystals and things like that, too, you know, and I got this sort of hippie vibe, you know, this hippie vibe blossom, but underlying that was a very anti-establishment lone you know wolf type I like figure it. in my mind and and all and right. the reason i brought up the biome and the symbiosis is because when you see this incomplete picture that they give us in school i mean it leaves me at least to want to complete it and figure out how to piece it all together and that's what i've ventured to do through internet research that led to podcast research that brought me back to book research. And I kind of got into books at first, but I was so new to everything that like, you know, this book right here, I've had for probably the, one of the oldest conspiracy books I've had in terms of my life, "Genes, giants, monsters, and men by Joseph Farrell. Mm. And I remember looking through it and thinking like, what does any of this mean? You know, I, I had no idea. And I was in like, you know, just a freshman in college, and now if you ask me about the Nephilim and the giants and all that, I'm like, oh, of course, you know, like, let's talk about it, yeah, you know. Right, but right. but back then it was like these seeds were planted in my garden and I really couldn't see them because they were underground, you know, not hatching. But whatever people who are, you know, farmers will, will be like, you're an idiot. But what is it called when the germinate, right? They germinate. germinate these yeah. seeds uh, are like germinating underground. You can't see them. And then they blossom into these little delicate things take care of them more and more and more and then they become you know fruit bearing plants and and that's what these books have become in uh, almost like a psychic way like i said I, I started with books went to the internet went to podcasting and then podcasting brought me back to books because i realized that there's a lot of information that isn't being talked about on the internet it's not being talked about in podcasts but it's in these books and um And that's really exciting, too, because now with the podcast, I've actually spoken to some of those authors, you know, and figured out like, oh, they're normal people just like me. Like, they're not just like these strange like names that you find in the library. They're actually people, you know, and that was a that was like a big revelation when I started listening to podcasts was like, oh, wow, like this guy, Brad Olson, who I've been reading about now, I can like listen to his voice and then I start reading his book and it's like, he's reading it to me. You know, I don't know if everybody has that sort of thing, but it's like a psychic, you know, and again, this is stuff that anybody can do. I'm not trying to say I'm doing anything different or special, but it's, it's certainly like a big part and parcel to why I'm doing what I'm doing because There's so much information that I found in those books that I'm like, nah, nobody, nobody's talking about this. Let's, let's inject this into the crowdsourcing and see what happens, you know, because there's, there's a a crowdsourcing effect that's going on in podcasting. It used to happen on the internet until they started locking it down and, you know, shutting down certain websites and putting bots in there and all the other disinfo tactics, trolls and all that. But podcasting still has this kind of like authentic feel to it, you know, and Uh, and you can uh, really be the judge of like what you want to listen to. And and I think what that does is it gives the people who are really saying something more credibility, because like if so many people are resonating with this one person, well, maybe it's because they're they're speaking the truth, you know, and that's not always the case. I mean, we have people who are disinfo agents for sure and they rattle you know they rattle things up and a lot of people unfortunately follow their their lead and you know i definitely don't want to become anything like that with my show i try to be very balanced and you know especially like honest too with the whole political stuff that went on like i voted for obama i voted for trump you know like i i I have to tell you guys the truth about that because i'm i'm like ashamed of myself you know now after some of the guests right. i've talked to i'm like i, I never <laughs> want to vote again you know like what the hell was i thinking you know yeah, yeah. but okay. uh, but that's important because if i just like kept that to myself and gave everybody who listens to my show the impression that like oh i, I always had it right they'd just catch on eventually and then nobody listen to the show so i'd rather there you, you know just be like hey guys i i fucked up like did you fuck up too? Call into the show and tell me why, you know? <laughs>
2: there you go. So and That's great, man. And Mike, you touched on, that's the authenticity that you talked about, right? People want that realness because there's just so much fakeness <laughs> out there, so much, so many smoke and mirrors. But when you have someone or a platform like yourself that brings that realness, that truth, man, it's, it's, people are attracted to that. That's what people want. We have all this chaos and confusion going on in the world today, People don't know what to think about this. People don't know what to think about that. But when they get someone that's real and brings that authenticity to the to the table, man, that that is something, and I, that has to be a huge part or a huge part of the uh, the pie. Why why you've been so su- successful in
0: in what you've been doing? Well, even and, the, the the name of the show kind of touches on that, and it's funny because like when I got the job working for Sam, you know, and it was mm-hmm. a big moment in my life because I had just pretty much been forced out of my old job because of the, you know, mandates and all that, all the things they were forcing us to do at work. I just I had enough, you know, and I'm like, you know what? Seems like I can do this. Sam hired me. So within like a week or two of of, of becoming like a booker for Sam's spiritual podcast Zero, I had basically started my own podcast, you know, and, and quit my, quit my job as a Amazon delivery driver. And, and I was doing Lyft, you know, cause I wasn't making really much money at all at first, but I remember telling my family, like, yeah, I'm going to do, uh, This really cool thing, my new job, I'm a booker, I find weird conspiracy authors for my boss, you know, just trying to use as normal terms as possible to explain this new thing to my family, because they don't, they don't listen to podcasts, I mean, maybe one or two of them do, and uh, they just gave me, like, this blank stare, like, really, this is what you're doing, like, with your life, you know, and that's when it hit me, like, oh, wow, my family thinks I'm crazy. And I just kind of (laughs) like thought about that as I was driving home that day. And I was so stoked because, you know, like working for Sam and he had told me in one of our phone conversations, like, Oh, uh, what are you doing? What's the name of your show? Like, what are you going to do about that? That's not a good name of the show, bud triangle. You should change that up. So I kind of was like, you know what? He's right. I should change the name of my podcast. And that's how my family thinks I'm crazy was born. And I had my buddy Matt join me for my first episode because I wasn't sure how we were gonna do it. We talked about like JFK and I didn't really I didn't really think about how you know what was gonna happen with the show as far as guests and stuff. I just kind of was like, well, if I talk to Matt, you know, he's been my best friend longer than any of my best friends, so people will really kind of feel my personality, you know, because that's the Mm -hmm. thing that's hard to do. It's like when you jump on a show and you know you're being listened to, it's hard for your, like, personality, who you want to be heard as, oh, to man, be conveyed, yes. you know? Because there's right. that awkwardness. And that's how I felt yeah. going on Sam's show a bunch. So I'm like, if I have Matt with me, my buddy Matt, then I'll I'll joke around with him, and that'll get me in the swing of things. And that's kind of why I had my other friends on the show for the first 50 episodes, too it loosened me up. It like you know, I was able to bust their balls, they busted my balls. People realized like, oh this guy Mark, he's just a normal guy. He's humble people talk shit about them. As a matter of fact, that's all my old co-hosts used to do was talk shit about me. Like literally that's all it was. It was just them bust yes. my balls and, right. and that was fun, but it, it didn't last very long. Cause I think ultimately the point of the show is to talk about this really deep stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're just new to it. You know, maybe one day they'll come back around, but they're very new to it. And I got to a point where I'm like, you know, I could have better interviews if I'm just one-on-one with the guests, because I know what I want to talk about. Now there's sometimes when I have a guest on and I'm like, shit, I wish I had a co-host here. Cause I, I don't know what to say, you know? And that's no, nothing against the guest. It's just sometimes maybe I smoke too much or maybe I just, you know, lost my train of thought or something. it's good to have a, a backup, you know, a, a wingman, yes. so to speak. But, uh-huh. but yeah, that's kind of that, that lended itself to the authenticity of the show and, and, you know, people who sign up for the Patreon, there's like even more bonus episodes with me and my friends where we're just like literally just talking shit to each other for hours, you know. So there's there's stuff people can, can go to to get a really like a, a sense of who I am, my sense of humor, when I don't think other people are listening, you know, because the Patreon for, for a time had nobody subscribed to it. So it was like, yeah, we'll just put whatever there, you know. But yeah, so so now I'm, I guess this is a, a way of saying I'm finding my voice and I'm finding exactly what to talk about on the show. And it's it's really, it's going well, man. I mean, I'm kind of hitting a little bit of a wall lately because I want to change the format up a little bit and not just do really? sh- an interview. I want to. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with the Grimerica show, but they do these sort of extended intros, and uh, I was thinking about doing something like that. Not quite the same thing. So I've been making okay. the show a little longer, which takes more time out of my week and more time out of yeah, yeah, my yeah. relationships and all the other things that are going on in the world. So it, it's it's definitely becoming a full-time job. It's just, you know, still making part-time wages. So we got to got a hill to climb before i feel like i'm really doing well but starting or starting to do something here i'm happy how it's gotten off
2: yeah man you've been on a hell of a journey man
0: you have been on a hell of a journey
2: and that's awesome man it sounds like you you asked for truth and uh you've gotten it and you know like you said man the, the dots are being connected and one one situation is, is leading to something else and and here you are right now let's let's talk about some of those deep conversations some of those deep interesting conversations that you have on your podcast show right i want to start with some news that something that's been in the news for the last few weeks here but it finally i don't want to say it came to an end but maxwell right was convicted today you know as we know she was epstein's madam if you will what are your thoughts about that entire situation i you know i think my personal thing is, OK, no no surprise she was convicted. When you, when you kind of look at who she's affiliated with and whatnot, you know, I don't know. I don't know, you know, as far as sentencing, if she's going to get like a slap on the wrist or what. But I would love to hear your, your thoughts, your opinions on, on this entire situation with her and even maybe something about Epstein as well.
0: Cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's tough for me because I'm definitely not like a journalist type. You know, I don't really watch mainstream media, but I did hear about that. Uh, from a friend today that she got convicted and the case is sealed of course nobody's gonna know the details and you know I think ultimately whether or not Epstein is alive or not I can't say but I know for sure that that picture was fucking phony you know (laughs) for sure I mean that Uh, picture was wild so I don't know yeah I'm definitely not like that's the interesting thing about doing what I do for a tinfoil hat is like I don't know all the details off the top of my head, but when somebody's going through them, I I, I like to think I have a pretty good nose for when somebody's telling a a load of crap and when someone's onto something, you know? Right, right. So it's been interesting, you know, with the show, trying to find the right person to talk about that case. And we've gotten a couple interesting guests to cover it. And Sam does a lot of, hey, get this guy on the show. So it's not always me finding everybody but as far as you know what i've found through other shows that i do myself uh, i do a really cool podcast with the elemental philosopherum generation Z. we we call it the elemental philosopherum where we talk about different elements on the periodic table and Mm. it was interesting that they came up the maxwell case came up when we talked about lithium because there are certain technologies that apparently mrs maxwell's father is a part of this company and even her Terramar project talked about using lithium in these sort of brain chips or like implants right so the lithium chip would be powered by the human body and we could possibly see like the mark of the beast symbolism in that if we wanted to go that down that road which we did on that episode but, yeah, it's it's interesting to find out, you know, Maxwell, she's got this submarine license and she's doing all this stuff. To me, again, not the expert, but to me, it's very obvious that there are sort of a class. There's a class structure and there are groups of people who are born into a certain state of wealth and a st- certain ability to do certain th- like things like become a submarine operator or even a helicopter pilot i mean i'm sure anybody could if they wanted to but there are certain like families that that stuff's just a given you know and and those types of activities are afforded very easily and they go to schools that are privileged and private and teach them to you know activities like that so it's It's not a stretch to think that we're living in a nation where there's a group of people who are operating in a civilization with different rules than the one that we're in, you know. Absolutely. That's kind of what I think the Epstein stuff reveals and the Maxwell stuff reveals is that whatever these politicians are connected to, it is, you know, that's not the top You know, that's the mid level of the pyramid. And all the groups that are blackmailing them are really behind the power structure. And that's why when an Epstein comes out, they have to put this story out that he got, you know, killed in jail or he killed himself in jail or what, you know, that was the official story that he killed himself. But, I mean, we don't know. He could have been killed. I mean, I'm reading, like I pointed out, I think before we started recording, this book by Walter Bosley. And he points out that suicide, that's one of the main ways that they, you know, in espionage that they cover up murders is by making it look like a suicide. I mean, from, from that time period of this book is set, it was way easier to pull something like that off, but there are a little, a lot of fishy things about the whole Epstein story. I mean, the, the cameras in the cell went out, the, you know, guys who were in charge of security were, had some strange connections and yeah, it's uh, you know, it's a, a deep rabbit hole as they say and to me you know growing up where i grew up i'm not you know i'm not surprised at all because i interacted with you know yale university types and they think that they walk on you know god's green earth while the rest of us are in hell you know like they think there's so much yeah they think there's so much better than us like the red carpets rolled out for them and you know I, i I'm not the best with the phrases, but uh, you get what I'm trying to say. Fuck them. I get what you're trying to say. There you go. I
2: get it, man. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And man. there's, there's a
0: huge more. disparity, too, in New Haven. That, so, like, you know, being on the other side of that, it's like you see it. You see the Ivy League. You see it. You're like, oh, okay. These people think they're better than everybody else. And and to me, the the charities that Maxwell was a part of and these initiatives to do all these things with the ocean – that's just the cloak that hides the dagger, you know, that's Mm -hmm. literally all it is. It's a, a smoke screen. And it's sad because a lot of, you know, again, back to the family thing. I mean, you know, there's people in my family who support certain charities and I hate to, you know, I don't want to point it out to them, but I want to be like, Hey, listen, like you're not supporting the good guys by doing that because that's just a front, you know, it's a front for all sorts of projects. Like I mentioned with the climate change thing, kind of touched on that a bit, but with this ocean project, that's the fishiest, I mean, no pun intended, that is the fishiest thing about, (laughs) you know, Miss Maxwell. It's it's this Terramar project and, you know, creating these, like, weird colonies in the ocean, right? I mean, that's like...
2: Weird, We know
0: that the international laws don't... Like, there's these international laws that apply to the oceans and, like, it's almost lawless, right? So it's just it's not surprising that people in that class status system are, you know, trying to skirt around laws and whatnot. But I almost think that that's like not even necessary. Like they have so much wealth and power. Like, look what they did with this case. You know, it's just a demonstration Mm -hmm. of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Now you talked about Maxwell being like mid level. Then you talked about the people at the top of the pyramid that really are running stuff.
0: Well, and I think I think maybe even like the politicians that we see, because let's keep in mind, like, I don't think they wanted us to know who Epstein and Maxwell were at all. Right. So okay, I think they okay. would be examples of people who are above politicians, because it seems like Epstein and, and her, maybe not her as much as Epstein, but seems like he was blackmailing politicians. Right. So Absolutely, that kind is. of puts him in like a kingpin role above them. Right. So hmm, that's right. kind of more what I was trying to say, not to correct you, because it is, you know, true. But I I think they're more like, you know. They're running around as like the middlemen between this kind of top layer that we see and then the top layer that we don't see. So they're somewhere in between. Okay.
2: Okay. Mm -hmm. Then then you mentioned a book talks about, you know, murders are covered up as as suicides. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned a few minutes ago, something about a helicopter. And it made me think of something I read on the internet recently, where someone said that we're coming up on the two year date of Kobe Bryant's death. He died in the helicopter crash. right? Right. And thinking of the suicide type things. And every time you it seems like every time I see a celebrity die, it's like a suicide. Like nine times out of ten, they find someone that hung themselves in their hotel room or something like that. Then it leads me down this path where I think of like satanic rituals and sacrifices. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's real? Do you think that really goes on? And do you think I don't know? Maybe I don't. Maybe Kobe Bryant was a sacrifice as part of some type of ritual. I mean, he was in L.A., right? This big world-renowned celebrity type guy. But what are your thoughts on satanic rituals and these secret societies? i mean hey i think i know what you think about the secret societies because skull and bones right you live down the street from there but uh (laughs) what are are your thoughts on that man
0: i i definitely think that you know sacrifice or ritual sacrifice i mean there's no that there's no like theory it's proven it's a fact it's happened throughout cultures i mean even as recently as like the 19th century in india there were temples that were sacrificing virgin boys, you know, that was from the same book. Calcutta, India is the place where that went down. So it's not limited to to people who follow Satan by any means. I mean, Kali is the sort of like chaos, you know, destroyer God in the Indian pantheon. And and she You know again those child those kids that were sacrificed in calcutta were sacrificed in her name most likely and you know Mm. cali cali california right so there is some weird association and again this is coming from empire of the wheel which is a fascinating book i definitely encourage people to check out walter bosley's work but without going in and parroting all of his information too much i think yeah there's clear evidence that there's these like ritual sacrifices that are taking place uh, on the global stage so to speak and celebrities i mean even the word celebrity comes from celestial right Cele, right there's that root word association to that so and we call them the stars right so it's interesting Ooh, yes. that like these huh. You know people become icons and you know the dramas that we used to see in in ancient myths are are played out in their lives symbolically maybe esoterically even because you know it's maybe supposed to be veiled so it's not obvious but it can't be too ambiguous because they want to give you know people somewhat of a hint and that's how they remove themselves karmically from the debt you know of imposing their will on others is to to give it away right because then it's on us to figure it out and it's not on them karmically i've heard a lot of researchers talk Mm -hmm. about that but what i find really interesting is how place fits into the equation and there is that whole thing with kobe bryant where the location where the helicopter was downed, tragically crashed is significant. I don't know if it's the 33rd parallel or the 40th parallel. I think Calabasas really? is Calabasas near Los Angeles.
2: It is, right outside of Los Angeles. So, so then I northwest, so yeah. So it's parallel.
0: it's proximal to the 33rd degree line of of latitude on the planet, which is extremely significant. Hmm. And also uh, this neighborhood is somehow connected to the neighborhood that kobe bryant went to school in high school when he was a, a young kid again this is all research from a, a close friend actually mike Juan. he was on the higher side chats like a month after that happened and broke it all down so i encourage people to to check that out for maybe the whole kobe breakdown but yeah that there is a lot that goes on with like The significance of place when you look at some of these untimely or mysterious deaths and it seems like to me that there's this earth grid that is almost like an internet of energy in in the sense that it connects all places on the planet right and when things like a sacrifice are done in these locations it has a ripple effect across the whole the whole world and possibly specifically along that grid line, which we know from a bunch of different researchers that certain groups, again, not limited to satanic groups, but a lot like multiple groups will build their sacred sites On old sacred sites or existing sacred sites, especially, you know, like the Roman Empire, they would they would basically, you know, conquer the sacred sites and take them over, repurpose them, change the names of the gods so that people were worshiping the Roman gods instead of whatever god they had conquered. Right. So and then the church does the same thing when they come through and do the inquisition and and take all of the pagans out of Ireland and and Great Britain. I mean that's where a lot of that research comes from. Alfred Watkins and the ley lines like but what's really interesting again is that, you know, they're using these significant places to do these things. That to me is super exciting because i can go to those places you know and investigate myself and 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 obviously i can't go everywhere so i hope that people who listen to the show will be inspired to do the same thing and then with the right head on our shoulders we can all sort of crowdsource this information this research and compile it here on the podcast that's what i hope to do with my show, your handbook for the apocalypse. And people have been chiming in and saying, Hey, I'm from upstate New York. And this is what I found here. Or, yo, I live in, uh, you know, Missouri, and this is what I found. And so it's cool to, to get, um, some responses from people in different places and find out like little tidbits. Like I got a buddy who's on the Patreon lives out in ohio you know so the serpent mounds are are definitely significant for him but he's found some other cool stuff that he's shown me like this really weird tree like i i thought this tree was cool i don't know, maybe it's not that special but it's like a weird tree that you can like that you can like stand inside of right and we i know everybody on the telegrams like looking at this picture and like one guy's like oh that could be this and another person's like no it looks like this so it's just it's it's huh. becoming really fun to like Maybe we don't have all the conclusions, but the fact that everybody's like crowdsourcing this research, I just, I'm really excited to participate in it. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of straying away from your question though, on the point of, of like ritual sacrifices and, and them being satanic. I make that clarification because, you know, I think there's a lot of like hype and panic around the satanic panic. I mean, literally the panic, but also, I mean, that could have been weaponized because there are. Real cases oh, yeah. like what happened at that preschool and uh, you know some other really awful things uh, the finders right so there are really scary and and unsettling examples of those kind of things happening but i think when we get into the realm of like whether or not it's satanic or not it becomes more of a smoke screen than anything okay. because there's just so much religious association with it that like i don't know it just you know i think it's doing the the point of justice a disservice to exaggerate or embellish, right? Because we we need okay. to know the facts, right? So, right, okay, and and that just seems to be the case with the satanic stuff, and especially when Christians talk about it. Again, you no, know, I'm not a fan of that at all, and I think really like someone that I'd refer to as Chris Knowles, he's done a lot of really good research to show that a lot of these cults are actually Mithraic cults and not satanic cults, and And then there's other folks who talk about how Lucifer is, you know, possibly just a, an idea, not an actual, you know, being, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's really murky and I don't want to claim to be an expert on it at all because, you know, people are you know it's up to them if they experience something that they want to call lucifer or satan like my heart goes out to you i pray for you i hope you're all right you know like i'm not going to deny yeah. that you had that experience right. you know because you might That's have their
2: reality yeah their reality, man. Yeah, yeah but
0: i as far as i'm concerned like i don't want to let that in my reality so i don't really like I don't see into that duality like, oh, well, if there's a God, then there has to be like a an antithesis to him and, and like mm-hmm. the devil. And, you know, I think on a like metaphysical level, like the yin yang back there, that's at play. And I think, you know, the fear of evil has been used against the common man to create obedience towards these people who claim to be the middleman towards whatever is good. So like at the same like at the same time oh, that they're like you can find God through us, all they talk about is who the devil is. You know, it's just very like, you know. And and I'm not again, I'm not anti-religious. I grew up Catholic, so I don't have like any kind of association with that anymore because I didn't it didn't vibe with me. But I don't like, I've had a lot of Christians on the show, and I don't dismiss that worldview at all. I think it's total open, and we all have our own journey to take and and our own perspective to make. But When it comes to, like, an evil being who's lurking in the shadows, I think there are demons that we can invite into our life. And, you know, that you don't want to do that. That's not something I'd ever recommend. And I think there are groups that use those relationships with dark entities like that to their advantage. I don't think it works out in the end because there is no... You know, high road with those beings. They're just going to use you and abuse you and the next thing yeah. you know confuse you and then you think you were being helped into becoming like a, the Mr. Doomsday or whatever <laughs> and you yeah. just end up being like a sad pathetic magician or whatever a wizard, dark wizard or something you know like uh, I, I kind of beat up on Crowley a lot but there's so much like there's so much information on him that it's impossible to be like he was this or that. Like you can't take a black or white approach to Alistair Crowley. He's he's definitely in the gray, you know, and and oh, yeah, definitely. he he's somebody who, you know, I'll admit I, I definitely kind of like beat up on him a little bit, but he he gets a bad rap and it's you know it's kind of due to this hysteria this extremism of of polarity that that's played on by the powers that be and you know i, I don't want to say that he didn't do anything evil cuz i don't know but it seems to me like his whole aim was to just expose a lot of this stuff for whatever reason i don't know <laughs> i think it, now i'm starting to think he was a secret agent or something but Ooh. but at the end of the day you know There's like very, I I just don't put a lot of credit in the idea that like satanic cults are ruling the world. I think that there are groups that are trying to rule the world and they're probably battling one another. uh, And they might have like demons that possess them from time to time and they try to like use that as a weapon. I mean, it happens. You could look at like South America and North America and shamans for that. You know, there's a lot of stories about certain shamans who will use like evil magic to hurt people, right? They'll go into a dream and like, you know, kill that person in a dream. And the next thing you know, like the person like dies in their sleep or something weird. Like, like I, I don't doubt that that is possible or real, but I think... Right you know, again, with that whole karmic thing that people talk about when it comes to the world stage, mass rituals and whatnot, a law of returns, like anything you put out comes back to you threefold. So if you're putting out evil, that's going to come back to you threefold, no matter what, there's no like, Mm -hmm. there's no win in that when you take that road. So to me, it seems like educating people is the only way to fight evil, because they only thrive by keeping people in the dark about what they're really doing you know and, and kind of leaving it on us karmically to figure it out, but if we're not taught the tools we we don't figure it out, and they just go go on kind of taking advantage of the the way the energy works in the world because they're the only ones who have true knowledge of how it operates, right so it becomes like this like right. uh, parasitic being mm-hmm. on the rest of us yeah, well said, man well said. And Mark, you brought up demons
2: a couple times, right? You mentioned that a couple times over the last few minutes here. Um, And then you also mentioned shamans as well, right? And that kind of, that definitely resonated with me because I had an experience back in April of this year where I went out to the desert in Tucson and uh, participated in a three-night ayahuasca ceremony with the shaman and his crew and about 30, 40 other people, which was life-changing to say the least right now do you do you believe that there is some type of spiritual warfare going on right now based off Everything we're seeing, you know, from from COVID and the and the jab. For example, I spoke with David Ike earlier this year, and he was of the thought that the whole jab COVID thing is is related in a spiritual way, where where the disease or the vax, they're they're like these. How did he say? Like this negative energy, and or these entities, if you will. And if the more you fear, the more that other fears, including. That disease will come and attach to you, you know, but one of the things that I experienced during my my three night ceremony there was it was revealed to me, and again, this is my reality that there there is a spiritual warfare going on, right? Not only both in the spiritual world and here, a phenomenal experience, and i, I can tell you more about that later, but in a nutshell, um I walk with God, the father for 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 three nights in the desert, man. It was just completely completely unbelievable. And I, I'm not a religious guy. You know, I grew up in the church. My mom's a, a, a evangelist, a licensed evangelist. But like you, I got away from religion. So I, I consider myself just maybe a spiritualist, more so spiritual. And, you know, I, I do a ton of meditating, which I started doing last year. And, and that's really really changed my life as well. I'm into to crystal work and have my little sacred space here in my house. And even through my meditations, I've I've seen entities. I have had out of body experiences as well. But I really want to know how you feel in regards to what I asked with the spiritual warfare going on. Is that if so, if you believe that is that linked to what we what we're, we've been seeing going on in the world on such a high level over the last 18 to 20 months?
0: I'm glad you shared that with me. That's really profound. I I myself have never done ayahuasca or DMT, so I've never experienced that level, but I have done mushrooms a fair bit uh, a couple times where I kind of like went into, I don't know, like a tunnel of light, but I've never like broken through quite the way uh, people describe with DMT or ayahuasca or maybe like even uh, mescaline, mescalito. But it's interesting, when you brought up ayahuasca, my first thought was David Icke, and then you brought up David Icke and having a conversation Uh, with them because I just find it so fascinating that this is like a a theme with folks like David Icke. And David, I mean, is huge for everybody, obviously being such a loud and, and prominent conspiracy voice for yeah. so long I mean like literally right. he's done he's done a huge service whether you Absolutely. agree with him or not just as a truth seeker you know it's funny he, that's the other book I have on my desk is his there book it is. so there. it's it's weird that that came up just now but yeah I, I think it's interesting how many people have had these ayahuasca experiences and then they come out uh, seeing this new world I don't I mean not that I want to be like paranoid or black pilled, but that does make me a little suspicious sometimes But then again, I'm almost like, you know, there's something to that. And the fact that ayahuasca comes from the jungle in this sacred way, and the shamans even talk about having this really special relationship with the plant itself, where, you know, they were, it was almost divine to them, like in a Prometheus type of way, like how to blend these two plants together out of the infinite number of plants that grow in the rainforest, especially the Amazon rainforest, they were able to combine these two, you know, the one, you know, being Banisteriopis that has that M-A-O-N-I, MAOI inhibitor in it, right? Which is what allows the DMT to really connect with your, your, you know, receptors there in the stomach. I think that's absolutely fascinating. And maybe that's a reason why I don't really have as much suspicion. Cause I, you know, I, i'm kind of a hippie like i kind of go with the 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 natural flow i think that there's something to it when it comes to nature like i try to be i try to stick to the most holistic diet holistic medicine and uh, be out in nature as much as i can and i that if that makes me biased so be it but that to me is is interesting and again like the machine elf stuff and like all the dmt rick strassman stuff that's when i become a little suspicious of it all but but it is interesting you know that that many people who are truth seekers have had that experience and to answer your question about the spiritual war i think it's it's exactly how i put it with my previous answer just i'll i'll rephrase it for this question but there is a a embargo on the truth there is a you know a group in a pyramidal sort of structure way that rests above the rest of us and holds certain things back from the majority so that we remain in this comfortable state of ignorance, just enough to be pleasant little worker bees and they can arrange society as they please. And I I don't think that that's a a way I want to live my life at all, being someone else's hive. If anything, you know, know, we operate that way inherently as psychic sort of organisms if you believe in that i kind of have been believing in that more and more as the podcast goes on because i'm like seeing more info coming to me from people that i'm connecting with you know in this kind of hyper connected way that's not really possible just from you know walking around your hometown your whole life you know like i don't know i've been in the same place i've traveled but i've been in the same place for too long i'll just say that so the podcasting Mm -hmm. community is a huge welcome and it's interesting to see like how quickly you can step into another reality and that's what they're trying to keep from us they're trying to keep us from this other reality that's possible at any moment now like right now for the listener Man. listening to this and for me and you talking there is a now moment the nexus point of everything where everything you've ever experienced exists it's it's inevitably in the now there's no past there's no future it's always right. now exactly right the future and the past they're just concepts that we use to describe what we've been through but mm-hmm. you know or what we're going to go through but It's going to happen in the now, regardless, whether you're talking about something that happened, you know, now in the future or whether you're hoping something happens then, you know, it's, it's, it's always in this now moment. And that's what they're putting an embargo on is the understanding of that, the physics of that, how it operates. And this kind of subtle, I would call it like a level up, not to get into like the whole evolution thing. Because like climate change, that's a whole dicey topic too. But I think there is a sort of spiritual evolution that is supposed to take place. And maybe even, I've heard some researchers put it like our two strands of DNA is not complete. And we should have 12 strands of DNA. And Mm -hmm. like as we evolve, you know, we would have had that many by now, but something happened in uh, Babel, pre-Babylonian times where our DNA was altered and and now we're sort of stuck in this third dimensional paradigm. I, you know, I don't discount that as much as I don't believe in it, but I also like, you know, it's very neutral. I'm like, hmm, that could be true, but also like that's a little out there. It just seems to me like with the small amount of work I've done, I'll, I'll I mean, I can kind of lay it out in a couple of steps crystals come in in my life water purifying it and only drinking clear pure spring water smoking cannabis daily which is not you know recommendation but it worked for me and then and then you know every now and then mushrooms and you know i don't know what it is but i've since that had a a shift occur and i think that's what they've been trying to block people from is living this kind of not? I don't want to say I'm enlightened, but I'm on my way to it, or at least I think it's possible, and I'm I'm hoping mm-hmm. uh, that it's possible for me because I see really brilliant people, some people who actually you know host podcasts or people who guest on podcasts as a matter of fact, who seemingly have achieved those elevated states of consciousness or enlightened states of of being in the world and. I think that's always possible. And what you kind of alluded to with the COVID thing, that's like a big indicator of it. The fear, mm. you know, and the, the masks and like the injections oh, okay. and all this stuff. Right. It's all meant to, you know, A, corrupt your body, which that's a whole topic that I'm not an expert on. And I, you know, won't get too far into that. But B, you know, really get people afraid of each other which is the opposite yeah. of what we need. Because like that kind of hive thing that I was mentioning, we do operate in that hive mentality. And when we're all operating correctly, I don't know if, you know, I'm not trying to say there's one or, or just one way to live your life or be a, a good person. But when we're all, you know, sort of working towards this a common goal that is altruistic, there is a sort of positive, multiplying effect that happens and they don't want that to happen because that's how that's how waves of people get awakened all at once you know they're okay if a couple people figure it out you know they can they can manage the few geniuses like tesla and like you know people who come up out of nowhere and you know they can kind of like for a while they could like write them off as quacks and and put out bad press or or call them like the antichrist or like Napoleon's a good example of that. I mean, we remember Napoleon as like as a short, fat, angry tyrant or whatever they told us in school, but that's all British propaganda. Like that he wasn't even short. Like he was and he wasn't, you know, like by all accounts he was like a like a interesting person. Like he would if he was around in our times, he would probably be on a podcast to be honest, talking about the same <laughs> stuff we're talking about. Like okay. he was interested in finding all this hidden esoteric knowledge, you know, and that's really? like he used his, like, military abilities to, you know, create huh. that possibility. You know, obviously, he had a lot more leeway than the average person in those times to go to other countries and find all this stuff. You know, he had a whole army at his disposal. But, yeah, again, you know, that's that's coming from Walter uh, Bosley's work. I've been looking into him a lot lately. Hopefully, we'll get him on the show soon. But, you know, that's, that's the other thing that's cool about about this new reality we're in is there so many uh brilliant people offering all these different perspectives and pieces of information that i'm happy just kind of absorbing it all and and showing people you know (laughs) what i find most interesting and and maybe they'll send some stuff back my way but that seems to be where the the show's going you know just having interesting conversations with interesting people
2: Sounds good, man, And that's what I love about my show man the the ability or the opportunity, I should say, to learn talking to so many different interesting people and getting their perspectives on various topics. It's like man, it's 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 phenomenal. it's phenomenal, man it it really is one of the the final questions I want to ask you. Mark is. It wouldn't be right if I didn't ask you about aliens, man. I want to. I want (laughs) to. What's your thoughts on aliens, man? You know, I I really think you have some some interesting things to say about that. So, what 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 are your takes on what are your take on aliens?
0: Well, I definitely. I mean, I've said a lot about aliens. I think on some shows. So I hope I'm not like going back on anything I've said. But you know, I, I find the the subject super fascinating. Who doesn't? It was. It was like one of the big big points of interest for me when I was a kid and then slowly as I learned more and more, I became, you know, more interested in other equally weird things. And, and then like a show like ancient aliens kind of really made me question the whole topic in general. Cause I was like, well, why would they talk about this on TV? You know, at first I loved that. Yeah, I watched yeah. every episode whenever it was on. And then uh-huh. there came a point when I kind of became like disenfranchised from media in general and just only listen to podcasts and I really kind of like started absorbing all these other opinions about aliens and I'm like oh okay huh that's interesting like and now I've started to think like oh well I don't think the aliens could have built the pyramids I think humans did it maybe with the help of aliens or like with technology that uh, might seem alien to us but like Part of okay. me finds it way more interesting to think like there's an ancient culture that we, you know, descended from that that built that stuff. And who knows, maybe they were aliens, like maybe they came from another planet, you know. So I'm always like tossing around these different ideas. And like sometimes like I think really why I said I don't want to go back on anything is because I have said in the past that like oh, I don't think it they they're like from another planet. I think they're from another multi or they're from another dimension you know and uh, and they're coming in through like a portal or something that that we're not quite aware of because for the longest time the propaganda has told us oh they're they're on mars they're flying around in these ships and you know there's Mm -hmm. all kinds of information that might suggest that it's human beings in those ufos i mean if you look at like where the flying airships were in the 1800s it's not really that far of a stretch to think you know oh maybe humans developed this technology from the point of like what looked like a big clunky zeppelin down to you know a shiny disc ufo i mean if you look at it it's only a 100 years right in the 1850s they were building these zeppelins and then a 100 years later we have roswell we have disc sightings you look at the you know the way they built the car it's kind of the same progression you see a model t and then you compare that to like those like Three-wheeled cars they have rolling around now, like those, like, what are they? I don't know what they're called, but, like, guy with the open seats, and guys are always driving them with their babe, like, with music yeah. blaring, you know? Like, like a trike, almost. Yeah. Like a motor- yeah. Yeah. Or okay. even just, like, something like a Lamborghini or, like, a even a Tesla, you know? Like, the difference between those cars and, like, the Model T in, the, in that many years, a 100 years almost now, I mean, if you put that same line of thinking into airships, it could be conceivably possible that there's like human beings that developed it from lead from a Zeppelin technology to a airship, like a flying saucer. So that to me, like I find those interesting or those explanations of this type of stuff more interesting than like, Oh, they come from another planet. What they are. I mean, again, human beings seem to have interacted with, these types of entities for much longer than just Roswell, you know, like that's right. That's yeah. the other side of it. Like that's what makes mm. me think they're maybe multi dimensional. Cause yes, we we hear a lot of stories of oh beings came from the stars, but there's also cultures that talk about, you know, their gods coming from the ocean, you know, and then there's other groups that talk about their gods like coming out of a, a big burst of fire and smoke. You know, to me that sounds like technology or you know a submarine in the latter case right or the former case so like mm-hmm. yeah it's there's so many angles you can go with the alien question that i i'd hate to ever feel like i have a you know i've made a, a conclusive statement about it because i i just i'm so open-minded to what it is i'm really yeah. i think in the early state like i'm at a, episode 120 right now I think by episode 300, I'll have a better idea of what, of what I think aliens are. you are got to talk to some that's more people.
2: Funny. I hear you, man. That's a, that's a great answer, man. That, that really is. <laughs> I you. like it. I like it, man. Well, hey, man, w- one last thing here. One thing that I ask each and every guest that comes on the Hidden Gateway Podcast to do is to, to leave our listeners with what I like to call a token of love, right? something that they can take forward with them as they go along their journey and whatever words they may be it can be a minute long can be five minutes long whatever whatever resonates with whatever's in your heart to do man but just based off your experiences and what you have learned along your journey what would you like to share with the hidden gateway listeners
0: thank you yeah thanks for giving me an opportunity to do that i think i'll maybe connect my answer back to something i kind of touched on A little bit, which is being in the now, you know, and and I guess the something I'll leave people with is like, be present in the present to receive the presence of presence, right? And like, that's kind of like a little bit of a tongue twister, but it means, you know, when you're in the present, you know, with presence, as in having awareness for what you're doing, how you're interacting with the world, where you're going in life, you know, what your purpose is, those kind of things have those answers or at least be looking for them and and that's where you know you need to be to find the answers is in the present right so that and that's where the receiving the presence comes in is in this kind of synchro mystic way which is not a a term i i coined by any means but it's a term that i resonate with really deeply it like in this synchromistic synchronistic kind of way you you find certain little clues that point you in a direction maybe way out of the job you're you're in that you hate right now or maybe it's a way you know into a uh, another you know uh place to live or whatever you know you're personally looking for in life at this particular moment i think if you really get like down to the The root of who you are and all those answers are squared out or at least you know you're striving to square those answers out then you can start to be like present in this in this ever present moment that is the ever expanding now you know so and i'm not an expert but i've had a couple of like interesting people on the show and and yeah, again, like maybe by episode 300, I'll have a better uh, answer. I'll talk to some more interesting people. But like you said, you know, that's the cool thing about doing stuff like this is we we learn a lot from each other yes, with sir. these conversations. So hopefully I'll have you on my show one day to uh, learn some things about you and and uh, what you've been up to in life, because we always like to ask, you know, like, what was the first thing that got you into conspiracies and i can tell just by the name of the show the hidden gateway that you are definitely getting into a, a lot of stuff i gotta go back and listen bud but yeah brother i hope that was good enough be present oh, in the present uh, and receive the presence of presence. That would be my answer. <laughs>
2: man, oh, man, Let, let's not talk about good enough, brother. That was perfect. And that really hit hard when, when you said getting to the root of who you are, man. I, I felt it right here, you know, and that, that's that's good, man. Thank you so much. Perfect. So tell uh, our listeners where they can find you. Obviously, you have your website, myfamilythinksymcrazy.com, correct? Mm-hmm okay and uh you got a lot going on on your website obviously there there's the uh, the episodes and, and and where you've been on other shows but you you have like a, a couple other sections there too uh, you sell some merch and, and different things
0: yes. yeah yeah and i thank you again i'm glad that resonated with you because it's something that you know i i try to put into practice in my life and it's definitely come in handy and you know I can't say it's worked all the time but yeah definitely helps and if people like the show or or like or like what I have had to say or brought to this show, then definitely go and check out my website, com. And I do make these. I've been trying to do this more often, make these like crystal wraps.
2: Oh, that those are on the website too.
0: So yeah, I've been selling a couple of these on the website now and and yeah, thanks for giving me an opportunity to to plug that. I I don't have like merch just yet. As far as like t-shirts go, I'm like, I have, I forget what the name of the website is, but I have it. It's going to come out. On my website soon so if people are interested in getting a shirt that says my family thinks i'm crazy on it (laughs) i mean (laughs) definitely check that out and and yeah yeah this has been a lot of fun man i got a lot of shows i do and alt media united is the podcast cooperative which i would love to have you a part of this show would definitely fit in with the other shows that we have and the goal is to build a community of podcasters like i said at the beginning you know we're all doing this kind of independently on our own dime and and when you're a part of a community of people who have audiences already and you can do shows with them and and share ideas and share little tips on how to do things differently i think that's a win-win for everybody so that's kind of what i strive to create when i set out to make alt media united it's a, a website where you can find a bunch of cool podcasts that you know if you're in the need for more podcasts in your life definitely go and check us out altmediaunited.com
2: altmediaunited.com you heard it good people and then social media too I think you have an IG page are you on Facebook yep um, Twitter all, all, that good
0: stuff? all that is on the, on the website I hope I think I don't actually know it's not Twitter we got a Twitter which is a good way to stay in touch with the live streams that we've been trying to do more often on Rockfin and that's free for people who don't have Rockfin yet you can Check out our live stream for free. And then once the live stream's over, we put it behind the the paywall there on Rockfin. So definitely check us out there if you like that kind of stuff. And then Telegram would be, like, the biggest social media. People hit me up on Instagram. That's great. But if they join the Telegram group, that's even better because, like, I can't do it alone. And we got some really awesome people in the Telegram that I've become friends with late nice. or over the past few weeks and whatnot since I got it going they're all really good people really cool people and and yeah it's like you know I, people hit me up on instagram or email and i can't get back to everybody i'm trying to in the extended outros that i'm doing now but but yeah i, I definitely like to encourage people to join the telegram because then at least if if i don't get back to you one of them my family thinks i crazy lunatics well
2: <laughs> somebody will that, that's <laughs> awesome my friend that is awesome so you, you guys heard it check my man mark out MyFamilyThinksImCrazy.com As I said at the beginning of this show Freaking great podcast With great guests And lots yeah. and lots of great interesting conversations So I encourage everyone to check it out And I know you all couldn't see that I guess it was like a crystal necklace Well it's a, It's a, 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 a just go to the website you'll see it (laughs) looks pretty pretty smooth looks pretty smooth and mark i want to thank you once again my friend for being a guest here on the hidden gateway podcast this has been fun excellent i've really enjoyed it and to to our audience to our listeners we hope you enjoyed this episode of the hidden gateway podcast as well remember you can stay connected with us at thehiddengateway.com you can contact us at support at thehiddengateway.com as well to chat ask questions anything you need Do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube station as well. YouTube channel, I should say. And until next time, remember, as always, stay positive, stay questioning, be love, and be free. The Hidden Gateway, out.
1: welcome to Forbidden Knowledge News. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Yes, excellent to have you. I had a great time on your show. My family thinks I'm crazy. And we're going to have a great time today, man. We're going to go down some crazy rabbit holes, talk about some of the topics you and I both cover and love and we're gonna like i said we're gonna have some fun and i want to start with this is your first time on mark what was it that led you down the road less traveled of podcasts Mm. so
0: podcasting that's a good question it started it started really with uh funny enough spotify had the joseph campbell archives in like the they're like weird you know verbal section or vocal section, you know, cause I was like just tooling around on Spotify, like in 2011 and I found all the Joseph Campbell archives and I had never really listened to anything in that way before. And I had a job dishwashing at the time. So I would just go to work, dishwash and listen to the Joseph Campbell archives for like hours at a time. And at the same point in my life, I was kind of exploring Alistair Crowley, Israel Rigardi, Blavatsky, and any other weird occult book I could get my hand on at that moment in time. So, podcasting kind of came funny enough, like, after I found, wow. I found the show Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, and I liked them, but then I started to feel like they were a little too corporate, and that's around the time when I found Tin Fall Hat, and all of the shows that came after that really were a result of, of tinfoil hat. Cause I think I heard Greg on that show. I started listening to the higher side, you know, and then it just like, it's like a dendritic rooting, you know, right, you, yeah. it branches off. And, and now I have like, you know, three dozen podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> so <laughs> and I sure. have my own, but it was really, you know, an, an act of synchronicity because, you know, as a fan of tinfoil hat, I, well, I guess I'm kind of going a little f- beyond your question, but maybe if Go you were interested in, in knowing how my podcast got started, sure. it, was, it was kind of an act of synchronicity because I ended up, you know, finding Tinfall hat, falling in love with it, and just really liking that show for whatever reason and Sam's vibe, and... I wanted to give him the Cabalion, the, the seven hermetic laws, because I felt like oh, if this guy knew this, this might change the show my, like, and, and bring this element into the show. Because I felt like Sam was covering all like the dark stuff and the, the wild rabbit hole stuff, but he had only just gotten into the alternative history, ancient history type stuff. And he was talking about the simulation theory a lot. So I'm like, you know what? If he had the seven hermetic laws, it would bring like a whole new angle to this simulation theory thing, right? So long story short, I ended up seeing him after a show and I gave him the book. And that was it. You know, I'm just like, you know what? (laughs) Hope he reads it. He probably won't. And then sometime later, I was on his Patreon and I noticed he was talking about, you know, some some book that somebody gave him. So I asked him in the chats, I'm like, hey, did you read the book that I gave you? And told him which one it was. And he was like, no, but you should come on the show and tell me about it. So I'm like, well shoot. All right. Cool, man. Like so I joined him on his Patreon and talked to him about instead of the cabalion, I talked to him about skull and bones and kind of shared some of the insights on how I got Uh, up to speed on the conspiracies from a really young age, you know, dropping out of college and trying to forge my own way was largely inspired by all the conspiracy and metaphysical knowledge that I was learning at that time. But yeah, long story short, Sam kind of gave me an opportunity to be on his, his paywall show multiple times. And then I had this opportunity to drive a, friend to the airport down in virginia i live in connecticut so virginia is like five six states away i had never been to virginia ever before but she needed a ride to the airport and she was going to give me a couple hundred bucks for it and i'm like awesome this is a great opportunity to go check out the susquehanna river check out washington dc these are places that i've been learning about through researchers like michael wan and and many others so i i really like in a, in a synchronistic way, I think I connected myself to the Susquehanna river because on my way back from Virginia, I stopped at the Susquehanna. I stopped right at the shore. I found some weird little parking lot on the edge of the river. And I just, you know, threw some tobacco in the water, like I had learned from a mentor of mine back in the day and just connected like on a spiritual level with the river. And funny enough, man, like six, seven months later, I'm talking to Michael Wan on my podcast, you know, and it's like it all kind of came together in a way where I didn't really realize that's what I was doing when I set that intention to connect. You know, I was really connecting with the outside world. So, I mean, I could probably and I have talked about all the little details of the synchronicities that led up to being um, the podcast hoster that I am now. But, you know, I think synchronicity is the is the long and short of it. (laughs)
1: For sure, man, you got to follow those synchronicities. I learned that very quickly along my journey as well. You got to pay attention to all these little things happening around you because they, you know, they, they, it can lead you down beautiful paths if you really pay attention to what's happening around you for sure. Right. But I want to, I want to know about the uh, the other side of your journey, your, your spiritual and personal journey. And you said you had learned about conspiracies and you know, the nature of reality wasn't really what we're told from, from a young age. How did that come about? How did you learn about, you know, what was going on? So I'd have always been an odd Person, an odd
0: kid, you know, I definitely didn't didn't fit in. Same here. I remember like stopping a peer from like crushing ants and like saving the ants and getting this reputation for being like an animal lover hippie, and that didn't bother me one bit because I naturally I loved animals. I loved being outside, and I mentioned that because I feel like without that at a young age, I don't know if any of the conspiracy spiritual stuff would have ever come about because. My love for nature, my love for the outside world really compelled me to see what was wrong about our society in a way that I think most of my peers weren't, maybe just in my community. I'm sure there were others that I wasn't connected with, like yourself, at that time. But, you know, I, it was very apparent to me that there was not a harmonious relationship between humanity and the earth. So that was like the first kind of conspiracy. And it it brought me into being kind of like this liberal hippie ish type. And I used to clash with my grandfather because he was a big Fox news Bush era, you know, war hawk type person. And, and that was a big contention. And I became very anti establishment because of that and kind of gravitated towards anti-establishment speakers and thinkers like Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna started smoking pot and and that's when the occult and the metaphysical stuff really became more than just like speculation because I had a tangible experience of it. And really like I used to describe it as like my slate got wiped clean and I saw the world in with new eyes, you know. And that was mostly thanks to cannabis, but again, big in part uh, my fascination and love for nature and and really trying to understand the world in an empathetic way. Now, how conspiracy found its way into that was, again, looking for anti-establishment type uh, role models. I met this guy in the park in New Haven, the city I went to school in for community college. And I'm just sitting there smoking joints between classes, just trying to keep my mind off of the BS and and take some time to read. I think I was reading like secret history of the world by Mark Booth around that time. And I was really into Carlos Castaneda's work at that time. So when I ran into this guy uh, named Amos, who was from Arizona, a native American himself And I was reading Michael Harner. I was reading Carlos Castaneda. I'm like, oh, wow, this guy, you know, he's different. You know, (laughs) there's not a lot of folks like him where I'm from. So the fact and the fact that he wanted to talk to me because I was smoking a joint. I'm like, oh, what's up, man? So we broke bread. We started talking. And this guy ended up telling me like, you know, I used to be in prison. And, you know, one of the reasons why I came to Connecticut from Arizona was because when I got out of prison, I felt like I had done my family and my community, my people are really bad. Like I, I really owed them, you know, big, big tribute because I had wronged my community so much. You know, I couldn't just go back and live my old life in Arizona. I had to leave, you know, I had to leave and make things right. And the way he made things right was by coming to new Haven, Connecticut, where Yale university has Geronimo's skull and bones grave robbed in their skull and bones tomb on High Street, right? I'm sure you're familiar. A lot of people are familiar with this story. In the conspiracy realm, Prescott Bush in the 1800s participated in a grave robbery of Geronimo Pratt's grave site in Oklahoma near Fort Sill, and they brought that to New Haven, Connecticut. So Amos, who probably knew about this story for some time before he went to prison, he really set out to make it like a... Spiritual pilgrimage, you know, like to right the wrongs of his life by praying for Geronimo in his disim, you know, disengraved. I don't remember disinterred state, right? So he's disinterred, and Amos, what he would do at that time when I met him, I don't know if he still does this, but. Every day at noon, he would go and stand in front of the high street tomb, right? You can look it up online. If you look up Skull and Bone, the tomb, they have this odd looking Egyptian sort of styled building right in the middle of town in the center of the city. And Amos would go there and he would scream, Geronimo, like so loud that it would reverberate through, you know, the walls of the... Campus and the students would like grip their books in fear like what the heck is this guy screaming about and I had the you know honor of of standing with him one day when he did that when he decided he you know I was you know ready to to see that kind of thing for whatever reason but it really felt like you know I was taken under his wing. You know, like he was my shaman, you know, and like we didn't do any like crazy peyote stuff, but he told me about his peyote experiences and, and, you know, we would meet each other in that kind of liminal space. Cause like he didn't have a phone and phones weren't really that, you know, up the way they are now in 2012. So like, it wasn't like that. Like I would just go to the park and he would either be there or he wouldn't, you know, and we would either talk for a few hours or we wouldn't, you know? So I really like kind of had this underground education from this guy. And I remember like valuing it so much, like really like appreciating the fact that this guy and I had met. And then when I started telling my family, like, You know, my mom, my grandma, like, oh, I have this friend, he's uh, homeless, he he lives in New Haven and he teaches me stuff. They're like looking at me like I'm a nut, like I've lost, like I fell off of, you know, the cart and like something's wrong with me. And like, you know, because of this homeless man, I have, uh, you know, run risk of becoming like a, you know, a loser or something. Because at that point, I was really considering dropping out of school. And, you know, it wasn't just Amos. I had other friends who were kind of like, oh, yeah, you can you can get your debts forgiven, like your school debts can be forgiven, which ended up not being true. So all of that led up to me, you know, really just becoming disenfranchised with the school system and the indoctrination programming. And I just set out to educate myself because, you know, here was this guy who had all this wisdom from another land that I had read about and he just synchronistically came into my life at a really pivotal time and I thought well if that happened once it's going to keep happening and I just need to like stay on that track and and really just like give into that energy and not be afraid that I'm going to you know end up a loser if I don't do what my parents are th- compelling me to do by staying in school or or becoming a fucking plumber or electrician or whatever else, you know, my father thought I could do. And, you know, still, I don't think they're quite proud of me yet, but I'm on my way to do that. Maybe the podcast is a part of it. And I had no clue back then that that's what this would amount to. I mean, how could you, I don't even think they were really that popular back then. At least I wasn't aware of them. But, but yeah, so that's that's like the long long way around for like actual because I had you know seen loose change on the internet and I had seen all the conspiracy stuff on the internet, but it was that person in person who conveyed that real pain like of like this guy, Geronimo, my ancestor, a really tragic thing happened to him, and it was so stark because you know, nobody. Nobody respects that kind of thing, at least in our Western culture, you know, like you don't really consider, you know, after a funeral, a person's life that much, you know, I feel like, especially someone you're not related to or far removed related to. So there's just this sort of reverence for the, for the dead and that I learned there too. And so many things happened after that, that just totally added more confirmation that I was on the right path, you know, and I ended up actually delivering bread in New Haven, which gave me a whole nother level of it because then I was kind of given an all access pass to the university without being a student. So when I would go on deliveries, I would kind of sneak off and poke around and look around and see what I can find. And one really amazing synchronicity that occurred during this time period in my life was I had this regular delivery every Tuesday and the funniest thing was like the door, the front door was always locked and they wanted like six trays of like donuts, coffee, and all these other pastries that the bakery would make. So it was kind of a hassle. I'd put everything on the front steps and then I would sneak in through the back window. Like there was a window that like led to like this little courtyard thing. It wasn't like a glass window. It was like a, like a, Open air kind of thing. You'd climb through, go down to this courtyard, and this door was never locked. So I would basically break into this building to do this delivery, and it was always kind of fun and and enjoyable. And I like felt like a spy and and whatnot. So one day, I think it was like 2018, I go into the building same way I always do, and I look down at the floor, and there's a newspaper on the floor that says. George H.W. Bush dies today Former Yale University graduate Former resident of New Haven Famously lived at 88 Hill House Avenue Well, God, you know, Chris, I'll tell you That's the exact building I was in 88 Hill House Avenue So I'm reading that That George H.W. Bush lived in the house That I had been breaking into every Tuesday To deliver these pastries So it's like little synchronicities like that That constantly remind me like okay you're on to something keep going with this and around that time was when I really pushed myself to uh, learn as much as I could and you know I'm still on my way to doing that I'm really in the collection phase right now just trying to collect the books and collect the theories and and as I get older I'll sort it all out but but yeah that's that's kind of where I've been you know in the Connecticut realm of conspiracies (laughs)
1: That's cool, man, because you, you know, you had an opportunity to kind of learn about this stuff at an earlier age. And like the way you said it, you you're kind of collecting it all and going to sort through it as you get older. I think that's a great way to do it because, you know, the older you get, the more insights you have into Not only the things that you're looking into, but your own, you know, attachment to it and your own connections to these things and how they affect you and other people in your lives. And yeah, it's, it's a great growing experience to have been able to have been exposed to that stuff so early. So that's really cool. Now, as far as some of the experiences you've had in your life to kind of solidify that, maybe talk about some of the, have you had any like unexplained paranormal experiences or anything that was like super profound that sticks out in your mind? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So along with Amos in that whole time period when I was friends with him, cause you know, like I said, he didn't have a phone and, and we eventually lost touch and, and now he's not homeless. He lives in a place and I'm not sure if he still lives there, but I had visited him. But anyways, around the time when I met him, he told me this story about a red tailed hawk and, you know, I didn't really pay much mind to it. And I had, friends who were teaching me about crystals and whatnot. And I was really fascinated with selenite, you know, selenite was always kind of like special to me. Cause it, you can kind of see through it. It's very bright white and it just had this quality that the other crystals that I had didn't. So I would take this selenite and meditate with it. And one day, you know, smoking some weed and getting like pretty high, like higher than normal, like <laughs> almost out of body high, And I go into my backyard, which was semi forested and again, kind of rare in my town. There's no big backyards like this for whatever reason. There's like a little alley of forest in my backyard, in my childhood home. So I would go down this like alleyway of forest and hang out and smoke weed and all that. So I'm, I'm back there holding selenite and it's summertime. So I don't have like barely any clothes on just like martial arts pants because I used to wear my karate pants all the time and and I'm just sitting there trying to zone in and I zone in, I zone in and all of a sudden I white out and I say white out because it wasn't quite a blackout where you like lose consciousness and everything's black. I like lost consciousness, but the light flooded in like, and it was bright. I was in a clearing. So it was the sun too, but I was, all white in my mind, which I'd never experienced that before I'd fainted before. And I'd always been like a blackout, you know, and this was white. And I wake up from this white out and I look over to my left and floating on the tall grass, like literally being like tickled up by the tall grass was this red tailed hawk feather, like pristine, perfect. And I knew exactly what it was because my friend had just told me a a sort of story about this. And I go to him the next day and I'm like, Hey, Amos, check this out. And he's like, Oh, he's like, brother, that's a good sign. You know? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're the second person that has brought me a a red tail Hawk feather. And he's like, and you're the third person that I've been teaching this stuff to. And he's like, you know, I, I wasn't sure how much I should share with you and and some of the people that seem to be gravitating towards me. So I asked my spirit helper, you know, to show me a sign on who was worthy of this information. And, you know, my spirit animal, my spirit helper is the red-tailed hawk and he left you a feather, you know. So this could be, you know, some huckster spinning me a yarn. But in reality, like I, I truly believe like what Amos was telling me. And and it was just so weird how that red-tailed hawk feather materialized like literally three feet away from me. And those kind of sinks, yeah, with a whiteout. And I've had other sort of hallucinatory experiences where I like blacked out or whited out, but I've never fully had like a breakthrough kind of. And I think we talked about this when you're on my show. I've never quite had that like breakthrough beyond, but yeah, beyond the, you know, those kind of experiences, I have had some very odd experiences in the real, you know, that don't sort of, they're not quite high, strange enough to be like, you know, worth writing a book about, but they're definitely, you know, synchronicities that I think like most synchronicities are ultra personal and extremely meaningful on that personal level.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. And like you were saying, you know, growing up, whenever you started to, you know, experiment with things like marijuana, and, you know, I, for myself, whenever I started smoking weed, it completely changed my perspective on things. You know, I I was questioning reality before, but even, but after that, it was like, man, fully fledged questioning everything. And, you know, LSD shifted it even more, you know. As a you know, growing up in my twenties, and after you know, I got older and started using it in a more spiritual manner. That's when it really opened up everything. But I think that these substances, these natural substances like weed, like uh, psilocybin, are put here for those very purposes to get people to access different parts of their brain and different spiritual aspects that they. uh, not uh, have that maybe closed off to before what do you think about that
0: absolutely yeah and that's why I describe it like the slate was wiped clean because you know there were points in my life where I wanted to join the army you know there were points in my life where I wanted to like get Osama bin Laden you know <laughs> so yeah. like so like it was such a like a stark contrast to then go from that mindset to like kind of bruce lee hippie mindset you know like because i still like martial arts i've always been into that combat fight sport type thing but what i realized was like oh this isn't meant to beat people up this is meant to build people up you know yeah. and and that's where like the Tao of jeet kune do and bruce lee's sort of like philosophy came into my life and i found like that just fit so perfectly with everything i was learning in the spiritual metaphysical realm but on the point of cannabis and plant teachers. Like I was so against drugs and, and pot because I had seen people in my family, you know, use alcohol and, and use certain things that I just were like, you know, that's not healthy you know, And especially from a young age, you get really scared of that kind of stuff. So when I saw Eddie Bravo taking a bong hit on YouTube and then doing like jujitsu rolls and like actually inventing new jujitsu moves, I was like, huh, that's pretty, that's, I mean, that's something. And then I read right. that Bruce Lee was like eating pounds of, of hash before he was training, well, maybe not pounds, but you know, he, he you was know. eating a significant amount of marijuana. So that was the big, like, oh, wow. Okay this is actually a beneficial thing. And then of course, experiencing that only, you know, confirm that in a huge way. But what I subtly, subtly realized was there was something going on with me that wasn't happening with my peers because as popular as pot smoking was i was still as much of a black sheep as i always had been because (laughs) cannabis had only made like those (laughs) odd interests kind of come out right and unfortunately it didn't you know and i I don't want to say like oh i'm enlightened but it didn't have that same enlightening effect on my peers so i always got really curious about that like well why why is smoking pot like making me wanna read, but it's making my friends wanna eat Cheetos and listen to like <laughs> yes, Nas, you know? Exactly. Like yeah, you yeah. know, like they're like it had like a wasting effect on them. Whereas for me it was kinda right. like building me into this new uh higher self,
1: you know. I was looking for my higher self and Dude, I am ready for the, the work day after I smoke it. I'm like totally ready to go, as right. creative as can be, and I get shit done. Right. You and know? that's
0: that's actually yeah. was a big problem for me because I'd always been kind of a lazy Lazy kid and had a messy room and <laughs> yeah. all that. So, pot really did kind of bring some like motivation into my life that I didn't think it would. And that's like completely opposite of what they tell you too is like, oh, it's going to ruin your life. Sure. You're going to melt into your couch and all that BS. But, you know, what really happened was I was getting in touch with the uh, spirit of the plant. And I'm not sure if. You, you've spoken to this guy, but I mean, you've done so many podcasts. I bet you have Chris Bennett. Are you familiar with Chris Bennett's work? And this sounds familiar, but I have not had him on. So you should, he's awesome. Really cool guy. He wrote a book called Lieber 420 and it basically. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. okay. I know you're talking about awesome. So he, yeah. he details the history of the occult uses of cannabis. And to me, I think that's what was happening. Like there was a sort of energy to the plant That I was getting in touch with, whether that's because it's a conscious entity or because it's like an egregore and all of these similar people who have used it have attached these ideas to the egregore, whatever it was like that came through for me and, and, and unfortunately not other people. And and then I found tobacco because at first I was just like, you know, we would smoke blunts, but they were like, they were like flavored with, you know, cherry and. Apple and all this other BS. And so I liked bongs and stuff, but the bong was like an overload, like a bong. I eventually really despised the bong. And now I only smoke out of a blunt because I found this sort of natural alternative tobacco wrapper. And At first, it was just kind of like a cultural thing. I didn't really see it as a spiritually significant thing. But then Amos kind of reminded me, like, no, tobacco is sacred. And then I just spoke to Gordon White, who reminded me yet again that uh, it's called Mapacho in the Amazon, the tobacco spirit. And, you know, we're talking about wild tobacco, which is
1: probably... Yeah, it's not until you add these additives and nasty fucking chemicals that it's really bad for you, you know? Right, right. And it's almost like you know, think about the spirit,
0: the plant spirit itself as an actual entity that's needs to be respected and then ask yourself like, Oh, is this Marlboro red, like a respectful way to, you know, treat this, you know? (laughs) Right. So that, that's kind of the thing that Gordon was saying with the, with tobacco. But I find that kind of interesting because the backwoods that I smoke They're not processed. They're just like a leaf. So maybe they're sprayed with something and I'll have to deal with that 30 years from now. But, you know, for the time being, I've been smoking these really kind of odd blunts and everybody seems to either like them or hate them. Like they're very polarizing. And when I would go and go to parties and whatnot, people would be like, ew, what's that? Or they would be like, oh man, you smoke these too, you know? So it was a very like odd thing that I was noticing. And what I've come to think is like, Tobacco and cannabis together balance each other. The uh, feminine and ca- cannabis and the masculine and tobacco balanced each other. And for me, that created this kind of like state of awareness, this heightened state of awareness that didn't go too far into the realm of like the bong, which I kind of disliked because I would get so, you know, head eat out that I couldn't really focus on anything it kind of added like a a focus and you, you see that with people who smoke cigarettes, they kind of end up smoking them to stay focused. Like it seems like they can't focus without them and it becomes a big problem for them. So yeah, there's something to that on the plant spirit world. But again, you know, I haven't done like, I've done mushrooms, but I haven't done like those hero doses, you know, so mm. I'm kind of, I'm still a little bit of like getting my feet wet, you know, I'm in the, the kiddie shallow end of the pool when it comes it's, to it's psychedelics. It's like a, a
1: roller coaster sometimes. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta prep for that shit sometimes. I don't doubt yeah. it.
0: I don't doubt it. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to like live the next however many years with cannabis and tobacco, but I know it's like a limited hangout. Like there's going to come a point and I'm only 27. So there's come a point it probably in my thirties or forties where I'm like, okay, we could put this to the side for now and really sort start to sort through everything that I've kind of processed over the past, however many <laughs>
1: decades it'll be then. <laughs> right on for sure man and you're talking about you know your levels of awareness as you go and that there are some people that you were saying you know from you marijuana really gave you motivation and opened your eyes for some you just made them want to sit on the couch and eat cheesy poofs all day i think there's there's a big difference in the i guess spiritual nature of people as a whole when you look at it especially now with the division going on there are people that seems like they just a husk of a per like they have no spirituality, no desire. Like there's no spark inside of them at all. Right. You can look in their eyes and there's just, you know, deadness. I'm wondering if there, there are people that are unable from birth, from their time in the incarnation on this planet, unable to access that divine spark, unable to, to, to get to that state where they desire spirituality, like a, like a non-player character or something, just somebody that doesn't have that soul. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I, I debate that a lot. And, you know, it's a big reason why my family thinks I'm crazy that I kind of have this spiritual approach and they don't. And That's not to say that they're not like religious because they do kind of go to church, but they have a very like secular approach to their, even their religion. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Maybe it's hospitals and the the birth process that does something to it, but I, to us as human beings. But I will say, you know, to the point of me being kind of like a strange kid and whatnot, what was strange about me was I loved Being outside and being in the woods and just kind of like pretending I was an animal, like weird shit like that. Like I didn't like playing like GI Joes or like, you know, whatever was on, you know. So I think connecting with nature, it does something energetically to us that without might lead to that state of what we can describe as an NPC but I don't know if it's ever like uh permanent, you know, I don't think anybody's like born an NPC and only an NPC. I think it, it's like a, it's a choice. And unfortunately others in this universe that we're in make choices that have sort of an effect on other people to where that they can't make a choice anymore. Cause if you're born in a, let's say a, a really uh, impoverished area, and there's a 5g tower right over your house, like you know, how are you going to do, what are you going to do? Like you either have to leave that area, which might be even more risky than staying, or you're just going to be subject to that 5g tower, you know? So, and that's like a weird example of it, but on the point of like hospitals, you see that happen in like the late 20th or I'm sorry, the late 19th century, early 20th century, this like push to modernize the birth process and I, I wonder if that has something to do with this materialistic mindset that seems to have also come into play in that same time period. You know, it's just it seems like we're we're constantly replacing the natural mechanizations of life with artificial ones, and that can only lead to a sort of artificial seeming mindset for those in that artificial created reality i think you know it's just part and parcel to being in a sort of mechanicalized world
1: Well, while we're talking about this kind of nature of reality, what is, you know, what do we live in uh, discussion? What do you think that, I mean, do you think that this is some kind of, I I mean, I really don't like the term simulated reality anymore, because I don't think that really covers the depth of what we're in. But that's what I lean towards. I don't think that anything around here is really physical. I don't think, I think that it is all, everything is malleable. I think at a molecular level, nothing is physical. And we are in some type of, you know, the only way to put it is simulated reality where, you know, everything is run off of some kind of grand program. That's just my opinion. What do you think about it?
0: Yeah. Well, it's clear that there is this level of plasticity that would lead us to believe that energy is primary rather than matter being primary. Matter is secondary. And like you put, you know, we see that where, you know... These things that we're told, you know, you can knock on them and they're solid are actually just as hollow as everything else. Cause there's this sort of energy field that makes up what we would call physical matter. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it's, it's a matter of perspective. And I think the only perspective you can have comes from your mind in that kind of like solipsistic way, not to say that you are all that exists, but you are sort of like one piece of the whole and without your piece in the whole, the whole has less energy, right? So as this whole W-H-O-L-E grows, <laughs> yeah. the uh, each person or piece of that collective, you know, vibrates at a higher frequency and contributes to the expansion or vibrates at a lower frequency and contributes to the reduction and i think we're, we're we're dealing with a universal expansion in a multi-dimensional sense so there is no possibility for finitude because that's just the way things are it's infinite you know it has to be infinite because we're in that kind of process of expansion or reduction at all times there is movement and direction so where i like where that connects to modern life i think is with like memory lapses and those kind of synchronicity moments where like you can almost kind of like leave the reality you're in. (laughs) Seemingly, if you have the right memories lapsed or forgotten, you know, you're literally in another reality. I mean, there are people who have head injuries, like tremendous head injuries where they wake up and all of a sudden they're able to play the piano like a savant and they've never even played the piano before that head injury. So to me, I think that indicates that you know, your brain is not the source of this information. It's sort of like a piece of the puzzle. It's like the transistor that's bringing the information through so that when, like, in that case of the guy who became a savant pianist after, you know, diving into the shallow end of a pool, his brain didn't get, like, damaged, and now, like, the piano stuff that was always there, like, came out. No, I think what happens is, his brain was damaged, and that opened up some sort of gate so that information that had been, like, blocked previously by the indoctrination programming of that person's life was now able to flow through because of that injury. You know, because you would imagine if our brains were truly like machines, if they get damaged or injured, they'll function to less of a capacity. But this is a case where, and this is not just the only case, I mean, there's plenty of cases like this where His brain was injured, and now he has an even greater capacity of skill, ability, and knowledge. You know, to me, that indicates that the brain is simply just, like, funneling something in. It's not actually holding the information.
1: For sure, man. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Now, as far as some of the stuff we're seeing going on in our world right now, you know, I don't want to get... Too deep into the whole COVID thing and get kicked off of Who YouTube. I like this one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But as far as you know, what's really uh, kind of behind everything when when you look beyond the 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 surface layers is is it your belief that we are really just being manipulated on a grand scale as a mass psychological operation to push society in a certain direction and possibly even call the population a bit so that those at the top can have more control and power over everything just the same as they always do in history do you think that that may be what's going on right now Absolutely. And
0: especially when you consider what was going on in 2019 with the yellow jacket protests and people protesting to get Britain out of the EU and all these other things that were crumbling away at the new world orders, maybe like plan A. Now they're like, okay, plan B time. And, you know, it's it's funny. I was just talking to a comedian, Luke Mitchell, who I guess his spouse is a scientist or something or other. And he said that you know, she lost her job, but one of the thing because of the COVID whole thing, and now I'm kind of losing track of that excellent point that I just had. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Hold on. I'll get it. I'll pull it out. So he was saying, he was saying something, but you know, my other point that I wanted to make, I'll save it by going here is David Whitehead and his cult of the medic series that he's doing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that yet, but I definitely recommend <laughs> people check it out. I think, What he's showing, and I've seen this type of research in other places. Joseph Farrell talks about this a little bit. There is no, like, you know, distinction between these, like, doctors and, like, a doctor in law or doctor, you know, like, doctors are not merely medical officials. Like, the term doctor to me, I think it goes back to the Royal Society and like that sort of maybe not particularly the royal society but that sort of vein of like well we're the academic establishment but what you find is the academic establishment (laughs) <laughs> they're not there because they're the brightest and the most brilliant. They're there because they're the darkest and the dirtiest and they've been in control uh, for whatever, however many hundred years since they set that up. So I think it was always the goal of the medical establishment to push us towards this sort of inevitable pandemic, plandemic state. You look at like the eugenicist movements and and their connections to what's going on now. But yeah, no, i sorry I lost that point there. I, it was gonna no, make that's some okay. sense. <laughs> I
1: mean, well, how deep do you think the, I guess you could call it occult aspects aspects um, or their belief system, do you think that they go into because this is where a lot of people check out this is where a lot of people start to look into this stuff and they say oh yeah sacrificing babies adrenochrome, you know occult rituals uh second devil dick no i'm checking out i'm, I'm not gonna look into this stuff i don't right. believe it but these the uh, these people who are practicing it and are doing it there's you know there is obvious proof and paper trails that they're involved in these rituals and you can you know you can look at many different historical accounts and aspects and things that are happening now and, caught on film everywhere Uh, you know these people these in that are involved in these elite circles have this certain occult belief system that they go off of and i believe that it's so important to them they believe that it can manifest a reality for them a certain outcome a global outcome and i think that they believe it so much and they are so they have their hearts set on this outcome that they're going to do anything to make it manifest into our reality what do you think? Right. I I think that's 100%. I think there's, you know,
0: a lot of reason for people to have that skepticism because it does get extreme. I mean, you put it very well there where, you know, it seems like everybody uh, is pointing the finger at Satan or the devil and it's all, you know, put to this far out extreme. And I think that only serves the people who are actually practicing these occult rituals for there to be all this fear uh, generated because then it just leads people to either not take it seriously or take it so seriously that others don't take them seriously right so there's this kind of embellishment that goes on that serves them but the reality is is that magic just works that's just the way the universe is and i think it's almost like a reverse like they came from a time period where all of this was known you know alternative history shows us that you know we have much greater civilizations in the past than we do in the present right we look at like some of the megalithic structures to see that and all the hieroglyphic information i'm thinking what it comes down to for me is there was a sort of fall from an advanced state and these occult groups have sort of remnants of that magical scientific spiritual technology and they've sort of put this really morose morbid sort of overlay on the whole practice so that most people are just turned off and afraid of it and i think what it is is they realize that there is no true death because we are infinite beings energetic beings and we're living in multiple lifetimes that's why they have all these bloodline practices and they want to reincarnate in the you know the same family every generation right they're trying to push themselves into the future almost with these practices so I think it's more that like these things just work and they've just done a really great job of helping all the rest of us forget how these things work and that gives them the ability to practice these occult practices with impunity and then you know like i said put this overlay of morbidity that turns people off and makes people think like it's all evil and and you know disgusting which it could be i mean i've i've read about child sacrifice taking place even in like tribes that lived in the town that i lived in four or five hundred years ago so this isn't something that is all that particular to just one group, it's kind of like a universal idea to sacrifice, you know, firstborn and and stuff like that. I don't know, certainly not endorsing anything like that, but I don't know why they would do that. I think because it's so obfuscated, we don't really understand what their goal is of sacrificing a child. But if you look at things from that like spiritual sort of almost detached perspective, it's like, well, you know, if we're all infinite beings and we're all going to be reincarnated, like, you know, is it really that bad that that child like came into this life for only a little bit of time and then just left? Like, I don't know. It seems like A lot more brutal to spend 80 years like you know living a a life of suffering than to come in and out of it really quickly that's kind of like again like a detached perspective that i'm not endorsing i don't personally think that way i have a lot of sympathy and empathy for other human beings and i'd hate to see anybody get hurt especially a child but i think there is a certain context through which all of these practices need to be understood and The fact that we're ignorant largely of the context only serves the people practicing them, these practices, because then all that energy is used with impunity, right? Because if we don't understand how it's going on, we can't copy it. We can't
1: replicate it. You know, we can only add energy to it through fear. For sure. Yeah. And I, you know, the the term, their symbolism will be their downfall. I think that's true to a certain extent, especially right now with everything appearing to be falling apart for them. I I notice, you know, it, it gets disappointing at times when I go out and I see everybody still masked up and, people, a lot of people living in fear, but I do think that the normies are waking up. A lot more people are coming around to what's going on. And it Mm. gives me hope that we may be able to turn the course of of this, this timeline around. We might be able to have a different outcome than what's desired from these, you know, elite scumbags. And I think that if they keep making these mistakes the more they do that the more people are going to wake up to it do you see that that they're you know they're fucking up they're making mistakes they're moving too fast maybe putting too much symbolism out there what do you think
0: well, I think there is something to be said about the symbolism and why they put it out there that way. But whether mm-hmm. or not like it's their plan is working, I don't think it's working at all. I think that's why they even had to throw this injection thing into the mix in the first place, because, you know, the metaverse and the, all the technology that they're scaring trying to scare us with, like it's so far and away. Like I personally don't think that they're really close to getting us in the matrix so you know if they have to unfortunately inject us with this thing that who knows what it'll do i think that's just a, a sign of their desperation man you know i i think if they really had a grip on on us as a population they wouldn't have to mandate it they wouldn't have to force it we would all just line up and get it like it happened in in some countries where maybe people are a little more obedient but here in america we we do have this kind of sense of like personal liberty that maybe they don't have ingrained in them in every country and and you can't say that about every city but i i will say i was surprised you know when i saw the towns that i did just kind of go straight for the narrative and eh, maybe not so surprised in the cases of like new haven but there are a lot of towns in this democratic state that i live in who have You know made it very clear that they don't support the masks they don't support the mandates and there are all these signs in certain neighborhoods that say unmask your kids and and here's the governor lamont's phone number and and call them up and tell them why we need to unmask the kids so yeah i definitely think that because of the media's suppression of information, it seems like it's all one way, but even in a state like Connecticut, which is, you know, second highest income in the, in the whole country and extremely like democratic uh, or liberal, there's Mm. plenty of people who are way against it. So yeah, I think the majority of people are just trying to go on with their life. And sadly for some of them, that means just getting it to get it over with. But that's not what's going to happen you know you're going to get it and then you're going to be you know compromised immune system for however many years and more indebted to this new medical tyranny or form of medical tyranny because you know they couldn't get us on that whole insurance thing that obama wanted to push through right that was a big contentious point with the 2016 election what's going to happen with health insurance and and medicare and all that shit well to me from my like really novice perspective on all of that as someone who just turned 27 I'm only now even you know outside of my parents insurance it seems to me like that's what the you know boosters are all about you know you just get someone into a compromised immune system and and it's only going to make them sicker and sicker and sicker so the people who aren't quite there yet are going to catch on to that really fast and yeah I think that's going to wake a lot of people up unfortunately it's going to come with you know some lives lost, sadly, you know, I, I even heard people in my own family talking about the boosters. So I'm mm. like, oh, shit, you know, like, <laughs> should I say my goodbyes? That sounds awful. But, no. you know, in, in, in reality, like, I think that's what's going to wake people up is, is it's just going to become way too fishy. And yeah, yeah, I have a hope. I have hope for that. But is that part of it did they see that is that part of the plan to cull out those who were obedient enough to just go with it or those who were already hypochondriac enough to fear it you know maybe but yeah there that's what that's what luke was telling me about that i forgot is his he was telling me about this doctor that jesse ventura interviewed who moved to panama who was like very high up in the you know fda or somewhere maybe even the who and Another prominent doctor said to them outside of a meeting, the culling is happening soon. And this was in 2009. And this made this doctor, you know, fear, something enough to move out of the united states and go to panama and then jesse ventura interviewed her now that interview is totally off the air because i think that was aired on jesse ventura's television program and Mm, sadly look at what jesse ventura has been putting out lately i mean jeez have you ever seen like a bigger like oh my gosh that was just like head in the sand show everybody my rear i'm an (laughs) asshole you know like (laughs) jesse ventura really disappointed me with that one but He's an old guy, you can't blame him. He's probably afraid of getting sick himself.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know you're right. But we're we're definitely living in very interesting times. I think last year was a good year and the, that they made a lot of mistakes and it, it woke a lot of people up. And I, like I said, I hope this trend continues to where people keep, keep, we got the, that's the only hope we have is to just not participate in the bullshit that in, in my view, but for the, uh, for the last few minutes I have, let's talk about this. Since you started doing the podcast and booking for tinfoil hat and, you know, talking with these amazing guests and all these, you know, having access to all these amazing amazing topics. What are some of the 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 fav, your favorite topics since you started doing this? The ones that really stand out for you. Well, thank you for saying that, man. I appreciate it. And yeah, I I I enjoy
0: that. It's so it's so like it's so surreal to go from being like a huge listener fan to like actually being able to like you said, have access to to talk to people like yourself who have been doing this for a really long time. I appreciate you coming on my show and having me here but you know that what really stands out were the authors that I've gotten to interview so far you know because it's one thing for me to be a big podcast listener and and have that experience but I've always been a fan of these books and for the longest time you know when I was a kid I didn't really ever think that you know these people existed outside of my head you know when I read their words it's kind of like a really intimate thing you know you read They're words in your own voice. So now that I've started to talk to authors I'm starting to like narrate their books with their own voice, like from my memory, and it's like adding like a whole nother layer to it. So, without going into a whole nother series of anecdotes, Peter Shampoo was one of my favorite authors because, you know, I don't think he had had many interviews up until that point. So, there weren't a lot of like other shows I could go and research him on. So, I was like kind of forced to read his book, which is a good uh, practice for me because that's what I've resolved to you know, be my resolution for 2022, do more author interviews and and read their book in full first. So yeah, Peter Shampoo was great. And that was also uh, a special one because it connected with the area I've grown up in, which, you know, New England is strange, but it doesn't get much like press outside of New England for being strange. Like I, I know a lot of people are familiar with the vortexes in Arizona and people are familiar with like You know, the strange stuff of Mount Shasta and like even Bermuda Triangle stuff. But I don't know, you know, for someone like yourself who didn't grow up anywhere near New England, had you ever heard of anything other than maybe like the witches type stuff about New England? Yeah, not. No, yeah, not much. So it was awesome to find out, like, there's all this sacred, spiritual Native American history here, you know, and I kind of visited a few of these sites, not even knowing what I was looking at when I was younger. And then to read in Peter Shampoo's book that like, oh yeah, that place where I had an acid trip was also on this amazing ley line that's been, you know, that was just so cool because it connected so many dots. And, And really what's also interesting about that is I only found out about Peter Shampoo's work because... I went to, well, it's a whole long story that I got into on your handbook for the apocalypse. But either way, it's the synchronicity. You know, that's what's important. That's what is so ultra personal. And that's what I like to inspire with the listeners of the show because I've already seen it happen. You know, people hit me up and say, hey, man, I looked into my own yard and I'm I'm getting into this synchromysticism stuff. And, and it's really cool to find out, you know, people are, are resonating and, and then taking that, you know, intrepidness into their own lives to go out and explore where they're from and, and find all the connections there. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't feel like I answered your question that well, to be honest, but Peter shampoo would be one of my favorites to, to go with. And then, you know, it's so cool to, to talk to people like, you know, Jay Dyer, Isaac Weishaupt, who, you know, I listen to on shows and, and just kind of like you get really nervous before you interview them. And then you talk to them and then it's like, oh, they're just normal, cool guys like you and me. And uh, and that's what I found out with this whole community, whether you're on a show, you're a guest or even just listeners. It's like we're building this really cool community that you might not have known was out there.
1: If you're just, you know, isolated podcast listener like I was. <laughs> Very cool, man. Last question. Is there any topics that you started out having one way of looking at it or or belief about it and then after you learn more spoke with you know certain guests about it it completely changed your view on it or maybe turns you into a believer about something that you were completely skeptical of well
0: yeah i think dmt has become like one of those like things that people keep telling me i need to try and slowly but surely i've a little warmed up to it a little more and more but honestly the alien thing was a big one for me Uh, you know i really really believed in aliens for the longest time and and now i'm starting to really question it you know it's 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 becoming a thing where i'm like well they're definitely not from other planets you know like it it seems like i'm just checking off this list of like well they're not this they're not this and it seems more and more human phenomena the more i get into it but that's not you know to say that it's any less strange than because then then it has so much to like Oh, there's so much to get into. So yeah, aliens. I mean, I used to think the, the pyramids were built by aliens. So now to think that they were built by like ancient civilizations of humans that were more advanced than we are now, that's like really what... I'm-
1: well, do you think that there are other intelligences or other consciousnesses outside of our the spectrum of our vision, our reality that can communicate or interact with us? Absolutely. Yeah. And I I, I never doubted that, but
0: I just... For some reason i guess i doubted our potential as human beings to be equal in that role like for a while it was like oh yeah but aliens are better than us so they did all the pyramids (laughs) and whatnot but no now i'm starting to see like we're kind of like on equal ground with them i guess that's really what i've come to to find out
1: yeah you know i'm 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 right there with you i think you know a lot of the ancient stuff why couldn't it be just advanced humans Uh, a lot of the stuff we're seeing this guy Probably ours, but I definitely look at the interdimensional side and I, I definitely believe that there are intelligences, life forms right outside the spectrum, living right here with us. We just can't see them, you know, even Bigfoot creatures. I'm very open to, the, to that type of stuff too, yeah. but that's a whole new show. That's a whole nother show, man. We're going to get into, we could get into that too. So I'd love to have you back on the future to get into that stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise for my show.
0: And uh, yeah, it was a, a pleasure like the first time. So, yeah, I'd be happy to come
1: back. Yeah, that was awesome. Before you head out, let everyone know where they can find my family is crazy, uh, social media, anything else you want to plug before you head out? Well, as
0: crazy as I think my family is, they're pretty normal in comparison to most people. So the show's called My Family Thinks I'm Crazy because I'm the crazy one. And if you feel that way too, listen to the show. It might resonate with you. And we have a bunch of like mini series type shows that I've been doing lately. One of my favorites is Your Handbook for the Apocalypse with Michael Wan, which we do on his Susquehanna Alchemy feed. And that's all a different podcast feed. So check that out as well, Susquehanna Alchemy. But yeah, just type My Family Thinks I'm Crazy in any podcast app and you're sure to find us
1: sweet well thank you so much mark we're going to do this again sometime soon and until next time everyone have an excellent evening we'll be talking again tomorrow